Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Ohio Politics Explained, the endorsed by Trump edition. This week, we're talking about how redistricting might delay Ohio's primary, the new rules Republicans want to put in for Airbnb rentals, what our Ohio's reaction has been to the invasion of Ukraine by Russia, and who did or didn't actually get an endorsement by former President Donald Trump. Co-piloting with me this week is our brand new bureau chief, Anthony Shoemaker. Our fearless leader comes from the Dayton Daily News, where he spent decades editing their political team. And he's absolutely a political nerd, just like the rest of us. Anthony taught himself the order of all the U.S. presidents on a family road trip. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hey, it's good to be here with you guys. So Great to be a part of the team. So who's number 27? 27 would be Taft. There you go. I had no William idea. William Howard. Yeah. 32. 32 would be FDR. I can't do that. And I really like politics. <laughs> I've always, like, it's always been on, like, my Don't ask me list. vice presidents, though. No. It's always been on, like, my to-do list to learn the presidents. I've just never actually gotten around to it. My grandmother lived in, in Tennessee and gave me a plate when, when I was five years old that had Jimmy Carter on it, and then it had all the other ones around it, and it was like a five-hour drive home, so I just sat reading it in the back seat, and I memorized them by the time I got home. <laughs> I really love that. Came in handy in history class in high school. Oh, I would bet. And so when it comes to redistricting, I feel like there are four stories unfolding at the same time. There's the congressional map, the state house maps, the contempt case, and the May primary. So let's break them down one by one. Right. All right. So the congressional map is the one for the 15 seats Ohio gets in the U.S. House of Representatives in Washington. The state Supreme Court rejected the first map, and the lawmakers have until mid-March to come up with their new one, but they said they're not going to do it. They're going to let the seven-member redistricting commission do it, right? That's right. kind of where we're at. And are do you think we're... Are we getting a map? What do you think? Well, you know, it'll, a lot of will will decide what's going to happen with the with the House and Senate maps first, and then and then the congressional map. One thing that's kind of weird about uh, running for Congress you you only have to be a resident of the state to be a uh, a congressman. You don't actually have to live in the district. It's obviously preferable. Not, it's preferable, but you don't have to. Um, so, you know, there's there's some weird history. Um, I'm trying to remember. There was a situation back in the 70s where they had to run like a slate of uh, congressional candidates uh, statewide or something like that. Oh, that's wild. Um, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah. The first map that they drew had a 12-3 advantage for the Republicans. And the court was like, yeah, that doesn't work. Right. Specifically, they split things like Hamilton County down by Cincinnati and the argument there, or at least the argument that the petitioners made that the court seemed to agree with, was that split was designed to create two Republican districts rather than one Democratic district. Right. And so we'll see what they come up with. But 
as far as the legislative maps, that 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 whole process has kind of gone completely off the rails. I mean, the redistricting committee has drawn two sets of maps for both the state house and the state senate seats. The court has thrown out both of those maps. And then the commission blew past the deadline. The court said, hey, we're going to hold you in contempt. And they're bringing the governor, the Senate president, the Speaker of the House. They're bringing all these, the Secretary of State, all these state leaders down to the Supreme Court. Like yeah, they're all, hauling them in. All seven members have to be in the Supreme Court on Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock to kind of explain why they why they didn't uh, do their job. Um, they are, you know, as we're recording this likely to release some new maps tonight. So we'll, we will see what those look like, you know, and even if they are more competitive or they look more competitive on, on paper, you know, what they say is a democratic district might really be a toss up, you know, so it, there's, there's ways of fudging those numbers. And that's, that's what the court struck down last time, right. sort of saying that some of these districts didn't look the way they were presenting them basically. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like being called down to the principal's office, basically. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And speaking of the contempt aspect specifically, um, Justice Pat DeWine has said he's going to recuse himself because his dad is the governor and he literally cannot vote on whether to lock him right, up. I can't decide on that. So the chief justice will get to uh, appoint uh, someone to to fill that slot. And it's kind of, I mean, stunning. Like, I, you know, I've talked to people who've been around Cap Square here for like 20 years and or longer, and they can't remember a time when the Supreme Court has actually called a sitting governor down. Like, I can't say for sure if this is the first time, but it's a very rare event. Right. And the thing that's interesting is, you know, you, you think about how, you know, they're they're facing basically kind of contempt of court. And so many of these people have legal backgrounds, you know. Right. They, they, for their lawyers. They're, <laughs> um, the Speaker of the House was a former Supreme Court justice. So that's just kind of another interesting angle. That Yeah. And the finally, there's the May primary. That's the fourth aspect of this. And it's increasingly sounding like it's, not going to be a May primary. So Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who's also a member of the Redistricting Commission, has sounded the alarm that the timeline for printing ballots before early voting starts is just, he basically says it's already too late. Right. I mean, you know, the ads are already running on TV. I mean, early voting was set to start in April. The primary, you know, he said there could not be like a one primary in May with all the statewide candidates, the local issues, and the State House, Senate, and con- congressional districts because of the map. So they could uh, they could do one race in May with just the statewide candidates and local issues like levies and, and school issues, and then do another election in say August for the for the uh, map the, the the races that need the maps. Or they could try to delay until June and do everything in June. But anytime you mess around with election dates, you're really really messing with turnout. Uh, Ohioans are used to voting in in May and used to voting in November. So anytime you you move that calendar around, your turnout will be lower, which changes can change the outcome. I mean, if you do an election in August when everybody is on vacations, people are out of school, people are traveling and stuff like that has a big impact on on what happens. Yeah. I mean, not to not to mention that the candidates themselves would have to perhaps fundraise for three months longer than they thought they were going to. And I did a story during the 2020 primary that was supposed to be in March that got bumped by a few weeks. And there was a local state house candidate that basically dropped out because he ran out of money. Yeah. But, but then, you know, like you look at like the U.S. Senate race, for example, on the Republican side, you have a lot of candidates with a lot of money, too. So they could drag out the primary longer. Um, but then that impacts, you know, the November race. You know, you don't kind of get started going after 
the uh, general election opponent till August. You know, early voting starts in October. You're right there at it. So our second topic. And it's extremely expensive to open the polling places across the state twice. I believe it's like a 20 to $25 million expense if you have to open every polling place in the state again. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So our second topic is short-term rentals. These are your Airbnbs, your VRBOs, and a pair of Republican lawmakers want to make sure Ohio cities can't ban them or heavily restrict these kinds of rentals. Um, they see it as a personal property rights issue. So one of the sponsors, Representative Sarah Fowler-Arthur, said Ohioans should always have the right to use what is often their most valuable asset, their homes, as an investment to make money. And the cities. Um, you know, like Columbus requires rental hosts to be licensed and collect and remit lodging taxes and complete a criminal background check. And it's unclear whether like those regulations would be permitted under the legislation. Yeah, this is going to be the latest in the home rule fight uh, between cities, oh, sure. cities and, and counties and the state government. We saw this um, a similar argument when it came to red light cameras. You know, all the cities and, and counties wanted red light cameras. State didn't. This is kind of the same thing where the state's trying to regulate uh, do away with these regulations on Airbnbs that cities and townships and counties want. I mean, you, you, a lot of neighborhoods, you know, for example, uh, historic neighborhoods are seeing a lot of people buy up properties and, and using them as Airbnbs, and then they get turned into party houses. And <laughs> deal, neighbors have to deal with parking issues and different things like that. So uh, there are a lot of communities that want to regulate those. Yeah, I lived in Colorado for a couple of years, and this is a real issue in their ski towns. So people buying up properties and charging rates that would be far above a monthly mortgage or rent. And they say it pushes out locals and contributes to affordable housing crisis in those towns. And they've passed a bunch of laws sort of restricting, like, you know, the groups that come in and buy like 10 condos in a city and like rent them out as a business. So they've had a lot of issues with that. And it is something to consider, like especially in a place like Columbus, where it is a destination city, especially like seeing the Buckeyes right. and affordable housing is increasingly. Yeah, I mean, you can you can take a nice house, uh, you know, up by campus and, and turn it into a house and just rent it out on Saturdays, probably for perpetuity, a thousand yeah. bucks a night. <laughs> nice little side hustle. So our third topic is Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So as we are recording the podcast, Vladimir Putin's troops are marching towards Kiev and Ohio's federal lawmakers and those who hope to be federal lawmakers have a lot of thoughts on how this has all unfolded. So like U.S. Senator Rob Portman, for example, co-chairs the Senate's Ukraine caucus, and he says that this attack is a humanitarian crisis. You know, he called on the Biden administration to respond with harsher sanctions and to provide military support for Ukraine and other allies in the region. But J.D. Vance, who wants to replace him, said, and I quote, I got to be honest with you, I don't really care what happens to Ukraine one way or another. It sort of straddles the whole spectrum. Yeah, it's it's an interesting, you know, the, the, the what you're seeing on the Republican side is you're seeing uh, kind of the traditional Republicans like um, Senator Portman and some in Congress uh, that are upset, obviously, about what's going on in Ukraine and chastising uh, Vladimir Putin for his actions. But then you have kind of a, a wing of the of the Republican Party that doesn't want to see 
you know, the the U.S. involved in any kind of foreign conflict and it says what, you know, what happens over there is is none of our business. So you kind of have that fight going on there. But, you know, Senator Portman says that this has already destabilized the the region. You know, he's been heavily involved in Ukraine issues for a while. And so has um, Congresswoman uh, Marcy Kaptur, who uh, I believe co-chairs the Ukraine caucus in the in the U.S. House. There's a, a small, there's a decent contingent, I think, of Ukrainian folks like in Northeast Ohio. There's like a cluster of them, if I'm yeah, remembering in the, correctly. Yeah, in the Parma area yeah. outside, of, um, outside of Cleveland has a very large Ukrainian population. And our fourth and final topic is Jim Renacy. He's a former U.S. congressman from Northeast Ohio, and he's trying to unseat Governor Mike DeWine in the Republican primary this spring or maybe this summer. I mean, who knows? Who knows when it's going to be, right? <laughs> Anyway, sometime before November. Yes. So as most folks know, a Trump endorsement is basically the golden stamp of approval in a Republican primary these days. And Jim Renacy hasn't gotten it this time. The former president endorsed Renacy in 2018 in his race against Sherrod Brown. But he also endorsed Mike DeWine that time, too. So both men got Trump's backing in 18. Neither of them have it in 22. But that didn't stop Renacy's campaign from touting that old endorsement. This week, we found out they were distributing flyers calling Renacy an American first conservative who supports and has been endorsed by President Donald Trump. Right. Well, I mean, it's true. The fact is, he has been endorsed by <laughs> Donald Trump, just not in this race. But, you know, um, Congressman Renacy, and he would tell you this uh, when I when I met him uh, back during the campaign uh, before, he was the only uh, member, only Republican member of Congress in, in 2016 that didn't endorse Governor Kasich in the hmm. primary. He endorsed President Trump, who was then running for, for president. So he says he's kind of been on the Trump bandwagon from the beginning. You know, he, he takes takes pride in that. And, you know, President Trump won Ohio in the in the presidential election fairly handedly. So both times you would think that if you can get President Trump's blessing in a primary, that's a big deal. Yeah, it was just a little it struck me as a little odd because like I get it. He has. But, you know, DeWine could theoretically write the same thing. on sure. the flyer. He, he, could, he could write <laughs> the same thing as well. Yeah. And one more thing before you go. Uh, the Columbus Dispatch and Columbus Monthly got together to write the definitive biography of the Schottenstein family this week. If you don't know who they are, they're one of the wealthiest families in the country and they happen to be located right here in Columbus. They're like DeVos family rich. Like their net worth is $2.7 billion. And they have like led some companies that I'm sure you've heard of, like Value City Furniture, DSW, American Eagle. Robert Schottenstein like runs MI Homes, which I'm sure everyone in the Columbus area has seen signs because they're building like crazy. And the point of all of this is to say, like, the story goes through the family's complicated history and dynamics and lawsuits and accusations of securities fraud. It's kind of just an important thing to understand about a very influential family in Ohio politics and just Columbus. Yeah, it's a very interesting read. And it's one of those names that like everybody knows, you know, because we all go to the Schottenstein Center for different literally events. <laughs> and and it's always it's always fascinating to kind of know the names that make up a community like Columbus and and what's the story behind them. So it's a great read. And if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like the Fremont News Messenger. That's thenews-messenger.com. <laughs>